Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arsenal Editor Podcast. It has been a crazy season, to say the least. Um, you know, with from COVID, Super League, you know, Bamiyan got malaria. Jesse Lingard became uh, Ronaldinho, the Spotify owner, uh, with all the biggest legends. Uh, so Henri and everyone like that, including Flamini, might buy us. But Spurs didn't win a trophy. So, you know, I'm not expecting pigs to fly anytime soon or anything like that. You know, it's, there is some normality to the Matrix or whatever is controlling this crazy season that we're seeing unfold in front of us. But um, to sort of digest the, the last couple of days, we're very, uh, very honoured to have a... a a massive personality in the uh, Arsenal world. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I won't flatter you too much, Elliot, but we have got Elliot from the Arsenal Vision podcast, who you can find at Yankee Gunner on Twitter. So welcome, Elliot. Yeah, it's great to be here. I appreciate uh, you having me on. I wouldn't recommend coming to find me on Twitter, but if you if you do, you're forewarned. You can't say I didn't warn you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I actually don't normally just chuck in the uh, the app, you know, at the beginning when we sometimes have guests on or whatever, but mm. um, I, I I almost, I nearly did, it was in my notes to give you an intro the, at the speed in which you can give intros, but I thought mm-hmm. I'm not going to try and, I know, try and uh, try and do that in front of you, who is ultimately the master of giving intros, unfortunately. Oh, that's so. too kind, thank you. Uh, I know. I'm going to stop I should come on this podcast now. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> if I knew it was going to be like this, I'd never stop, yeah. <laughs> no, well, I think I'm going to stop the fast through here and we'll move on to some of the abuse maybe in a Fair bit. Enough. I think that's probably <laughs> okay. a good way to do things. But, um, you know, it's good to see you flying the flag from the other side of the pond. But, I mean, Elliot, it's been a, it's been a, I've just talked about how much it's been a crazy season. But the week itself, I mean, if we just go back just over a week, drew to Fulham, joined an elite Super League, left said elite Super League, <laughs> staged a fan protest, which seemed to have worked in some way, lost to Everton. Secured a long-term youth player in Balogun, whipped up a dream team to buy the club. I mean, where where do you even start? I mean, I don't know. I that that's a hard part, right? It it is. There's an ancient Chinese proverb uh, that says, "May you live in interesting times." That's sometimes uh, called an ancient Chinese curse, and I think we are definitely doing that. It it if the only interesting things going on right now were in the world of football, it would still be a crazy year, but. The football stuff pales in comparison to the stuff happening outside of football. So it it all feels like a culmination, though, to me, because it was never going to be a situation that we were going to have more than a year of no fans in the stands, more than a year of all this lost revenue, a year of the the changing landscape of the economic model of football without the sort of avaricious, opportunistic ownership interests from overseas weighing in on it and trying to find a way to to monetize it and, and leverage it to their advantage. So we've seen that first salvo, whether it's the last effort, well, I don't think we've seen the last of them trying to, to make the most of this. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a crazy world. I mean, there's going to be a lot of talk on, on ownership, and I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into that in a bit. But, you know, we can be quite fickle as fans, and we, we, we want a lot of money coming in so we can buy the best players, but where that money comes from, I, you know, it's maybe we want some people who are front facing. Maybe, you know, we're talking about the super league when we've had the things like the premier league made, we didn't sort of bat an eyelid then. Um, but this seemed to be one step too far and it's all come to this sort of one boiling pot. And here we are now. And um, I'm going to put this on you uh, as we ask the rest of our fans. <laughs> um, 
we we asked everyone on Instagram to, to submit a, a three-word summary normally of the game, but because it's kind of been a crazy week and quite frankly, the Everton, Everton game was a bit bad. Do you have any three a three-word summary that you'd like to throw out there? <laughs> I'm really putting that on uh, you, I know I am. Uh, for, for the whole last week, huh? For the week. Let's call it since Fulham. Um, how about let's just do an easy one and say Stan Kroenke out. Nice. I like it. Can't, did can't you, be did, that, right? <laughs> absolutely not. Absolutely not. Well, uh, I'll, I've got a few people who will try. Um, Tam mm. Tedge has said Europa or nothing. And actually, um, Haxi, um, not going to try and spell that out, says uh, Kroenke out now. So it's very similar to yours, of course. Someone says, so Osman Zor said, don't substitute Pepe. And quite frankly, I'm sick of it as well. <laughs> I mean, God, we can get into that. But that was uh, no doubt a very late substitution as well. Mm. Um Self-inflicted failure, another one. Don't buy anything. Not quite sure that's about. Um, uh, somebody just said, don't have bottle. And to be honest, it just keeps going on like that. Someone's mentioned the fact that it is a, a roller coaster as well. So Maya.shah said, what, what a roller coaster. But so all very good summaries. And um, I, I, feel, I just feel like I've been punched in the face, hugged, serenaded mm-hmm. to this whole week. And, and I don't really know where to start. But so normally we'd go into the game and things like that. But something quite significant obviously that started um was on friday and we just before the game we had a a huge turnout um that i don't know about you elliot maybe maybe really proud and i don't know what your sort of view was on it from the other side of the pond did you get you know obviously not physically involved but were you sort of contributing in any way and how did you feel it just so happens that we were doing a live stream. We do our pre-match live stream two hours before uh, midweek games and weekday games, so we just happened to be doing it. So it was a chance to sort of watch it together and react in real time. Um, I I was proud to see it. I think it's funny, right? It's really hard because there's so many emotions wrapped up in it. There's obviously just sort of the natural tendency to be concerned in the midst of a pandemic to seeing people together because we're still just getting to grips with that happening. And I I don't have strong views either way. It's just, we don't see a lot of it. So when you see it, it naturally strikes you as unusual. Um, There was the bittersweet response for me that this return to the stadium wasn't a return to go watch the football, but instead to be stuck outside the ground protesting ownership. I think a lot of us would have hoped that the return to the stadium would have been a triumphant moment for fans to celebrate the team and, and, retake their position as the emotional uh, through line of, of the game. And that's, that's not happening, but more than anything, I just proud that fans still feel engaged with the club and with the game and with this idea of the soul of the game or these, these sort of ideals about what football should be with everything we've been through, because as much as people talk about the money that's come into football and ruined it and hashtag against modern football and, you know, with the pandemic and all the things that have gone on, it's easy to just become cynical and say, well, football's not the thing it was. It's changed. It's this new thing now, and it will never be that other thing. But I think what we've seen is there can still be a line in the sand. There can still be a moment where fans come together and say, whatever we've given up to this point, we hold the line here. And I think that's good because the one downside to cynicism, and you see a lot of this on, online in general, if one thing is bad, all things are bad. Oh, you think that's bad? Well, this exists. You know, this sort of whataboutism, the idea that nothing can be good because everything is impure. And in general, I'm, I'm just seeing way too much of these sort of purity tests with people where you're, you know, you can't like this movie because this thing happened, or you can't like this TV show because that thing happened, or, the, you know, this. So 
for fans to be able to say, yes, we've we've accepted a, a development in the world of football and in our game that takes it away from what it may have been generations ago, but we can still have ideals and still draw lines about where that stops. I think that's encouraging because I think we need that in all walks of life. The ability to say, yes, this thing here isn't perfect, but an imperfect this is better than a terrible that. And so we will fight to protect this imperfect thing rather than let everything get thrown out through our through our cynicism and, and, and purity tests. So that maybe that's a more grandiose answer than, than is required, but I think it is in a little sort of microcosmic way, a really encouraging thing to see from our society in general. Definitely. I mean, firstly, on, on the COVID thing, you know, I think you're absolutely right. It, you know, again, it's, I think we, you know, yourself, you're very fortunate. You've got a podcast that can reach many people and we've got an Instagram page that, you know, 200,000 plus people follow. And yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, and it's, I felt very um, honored that I could kind of at least get my voice heard in some way that would resonate with it with quite a large number of people. And, you know, you're the same, you've got a quite a large, you know, a massive fan base and, you know, a listener base. And, um, but for that reason, I, I didn't go to the, the protest myself and I'm fully, fully support that no, you know, other people did. And it was an extremely, uh, you know, heart filling kind of thing to see because, you know, like you say that the super league happened and it divided, um, it divided the executive levels to the fan, but what it really did was unite a fan base. And that isn't just Arsenal, obviously in this case with the Cronkies and the sort of um, cauldron of issues that are going on at the club at various levels. Um, I think it united this fan base, but in more, you know, more general terms, I think, like you say, we, we really could understand that, look, there are issues with the Premier League. We're all very aware that it's a money versus money situation, but when it really comes to the fans, we still love the sport and the competition is at the very heart of that. And we kind of I mentioned this in the podcast a couple of weeks ago that we we've kind of accepted that and this is just the way we work, that, you know, without bringing it to a completely wider point of view, the a capitalist society we live in. And, you know, with success, more money comes with more money so comes success. And whilst the Premier League protects some of it, you still can go down. And we've seen that with Nottingham Forest, Leeds, Aston Villa, all of the top clubs in, in the historically in, in the English League who were part of that Premier League, Newcastle to the same extent they've gone down. Um, and so when you see people coming together and fight for the club in a way that um, was almost reminiscent of, of how we would maybe it, all those that time ago when these bodies didn't exist, fighting for, for that, for their love of the club really. Um, and mm. for competition at the same time, because we're, we're a club that would have benefited the most from it, right? We would have been, um, uh, you know, put to a, to, to the top level when we're not at the moment. And, um, but I think the beauty of it is the fact that we get to be on that journey and without being on that journey, you don't really, you don't really get to experience the highs in the same way. Um, so yeah, I was, I was really proud. And do you, do you feel like it, do you feel like it hurt home? Do you feel like it, the, the protest hit, hit the executive level? No, I mean, no, because I think, and, and again, I'm not trying to dismiss the importance of them, but yeah. I think, the thing you have to remember about Stan Kroenke is he's not real popular anywhere. <laughs> um, while those protests were wonderful to see, he is not only facing, has not only faced protests in St. Louis, a lot closer to home for him, he is facing a billion-dollar lawsuit there um, for moving the club from St. Louis to Los Angeles, the lawsuit he will almost certainly lose. Now, those losses will probably be underwritten by the NFL, the National Football League, um, to which the Rams belong, but 
it is just when you are a person who has been a sports figure for decades and throughout most of those decades been largely reviled or at a minimum uh, not respected by the fans of the clubs that you own, then I think he would feel insulated from this. Now, whether or not Josh Kroenke wants to be more involved, wants to be liked, wants to be viewed as a a benefactor for the club, well, that's that's another story altogether because we don't really know as much about him as he steps into the forefront here. I know that he's been more involved in Denver Nuggets, uh, KSC's NBA franchise, and they have been run pretty well recently. So maybe there's an argument to be made that there's sort of a new way of thinking about things that Josh Kroenke is bringing to the table that we may start to see at Arsenal. And the Super League is definitely a new way of thinking about things, not the kind we'd like. But if you set that aside and say there will be other new ways of thinking about things, I'd be open to it only because I don't know what other choice I have. The only thing I could say is, while while he will have been aware of the protests, and while they will certainly not be something he likes, Stan Kroenke can operate in that environment. Should they chase away sponsors? Should they con- d- decrease the value of the asset? Should he continue to run 100 million pound losses per year? Those will be the things, in my view, that would make the biggest impact. Or, you know, a change in the regulatory environment with, with the British government. I know that the AST and other fan groups met with uh, Boris Johnson. And now there's a, 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 a government operative that has been, I, I think her name is Tracy couch or something uh, i'll have to look that up actually i apologize hmm. i may be getting that <laughs> no, that's fine i may have just made up a name and, and a piece of furniture but the point is there's someone involved in that and and that would be another thing that um that would influence kse please don't mistake that as me saying that it isn't important for the fans to be seen unified against this that matters we saw it matters with this super league whether it can engender the kind of change that we want to bring about I, i'm a little more skeptical yeah, and I, I think it's that's important because whilst we're very unhappy with with Stan Kroenke, I think that that really is sort of hand in hand with performance and league position and how we'd be doing better. I don't think anyone would be yeah. shouting. And I know Chelsea went outside their stadium to protest, but once they were out of the Super League, they're very comfortable with Roman Abramovich. And there's, I guess he 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 was very hands on for, for for a long time, or at least at least came to the games, but. And I don't want to get again to to widen in ideological or anything like this, but there's there's what is the ideal billionaire owner to you? You know, there isn't really one. You know, I mean, it was, that's that's a great question because, right? The uh, Daniel Eck, I guess his name uh, yeah. from Spotify. You know, rumored to be interested. Do we have any confidence it would be different? How how do you identify how do you identify what a good owner looks like? Unless your pure interest is they'll put as much money in as it takes to win. At which point you're probably down to oligarchs and sports washing nations, right? So like, there's no. This is where the cynicism kicks in. Mm. No one has presented to me a clearly benevolent, you know, uh, anodyne football owner that everybody's going to be happy about. And if you want to say fan ownership, I mean, I hear you, but how you get to that model is is definitely beyond me. I mean, it's impossible, isn't it? We, yeah, we, we, we can't get to that model that Germany do. And, and whilst we applaud the Germans, and it is very wholesome, you know, they're in a league ultimately where... If you're good, you go to one team and that team gets all the success. And actually, if you look at the Premier League compared to most other leagues in Europe, it's the most consistently competitive. So the model kind of works. And we we do live in a very fickle world. And I'm, I'm the same. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a purist in a sense, but equally, give me the cash. If you're rich and you get oil somewhere in the Middle East, send it this way. You know, I want the best players. And if it's only really because the league position, we start to attribute that to 
he doesn't turn up he's moved the rams you know I, I, what do you think about that yeah well and a few things you know the german model just so we don't get it confused they don't have fan ownership. They have fan voting rights, right? So that is a weird hybrid model in that the fans don't own a piece of the club. They have 50% plus one voting rights on major issues impacting the club. Why you would buy an asset for billions of pounds and then give over more than half the control of that asset is beyond me. I think it would certainly drive out the a large chunk of the money from the Premier League. And then the question is, is that what fans want? Do they want a simpler time? Do they want the stars to be in other leagues? Do they want a time when, you know, the Premier League is not, does not have the might that it has? I can tell you the Premier League doesn't want that. I certainly don't think the British government wants that, right? Because it's a major export for the country. Um, I don't know how you achieve a way of making everybody happy. And so to your point, maybe it's just by being good. Here's the thing that really drives me nuts, though. Yes, investment helps. Look at Liverpool, right? Like, not that they're, they're the perfect club, but I think they're a good analog for us. KSE doesn't need to join a Super League to make more money and be more successful. They could just run the club better. Like, that's the thing that blows my mind. Don't spend 72 million pounds on Pepe. And I like Pepe, by the way, but that was an overly inflated fee. Don't sign retirees from Chelsea to 200,000 pounds a week. Don't re-sign, you know, 31-year-old strikers to bumper contracts while you're trying to get out of a bumper contract from a 30 plus year old number 10 that you couldn't get extract value from don't let Aaron Ramsey leave on a free don't let Alexis Sanchez leave on a free I mean these are obvious things you know if you look at what we get from you know when, when Arsene Wenger was in charge for all of his flaws we made money on player trading the club turned a profit and you could say we turned that profit at the expense of winning, but now we turn huge losses, even outside of COVID. We're not run well, and we're not an efficient club. So you don't have to join a Super League for Arsenal to be successful. You could just, you know, be competent, hire good people, make good moves. Liverpool, you know, have gotten some luck. You know, it's not every day you have a Coutinho that Barcelona is going to buy for 100 million euros or whatever it is, but... They sold well. They bought well. They have a, a modern football structure. They got a really good, experienced coach. They have, you know, data nerds behind the scenes telling them that Diego Jota looks like a good value-oriented purchase, and off they go and do it. So if Arsenal were running at optimum efficiency and still turning losses and still not competing, you might have had more sympathy for wanting to make a move like this. But at a time when you are wasting money, inefficient, poorly run, bad people, you know, making decisions— I'm sorry, how do you convince anybody that that they should feel sorry for you? Because you're just running your business badly. You don't need, you know, he wants a bailout. Why should he get one? I agree. Yeah, I mean, and from the executive level, I mean, the executive level are appointed by the owners, right? And yeah. that's where it seems to fall apart. It seems to just crumble apart. And there seems to be no backbone. There seems to be no ability to diverge away from agents or any annoying people like that that tend to be getting ridiculous deals and they have, you know, under under the table front, you know, hands where they're paying people to do certain things from getting people from certain clubs that even the Pepe deal was, was ridiculous. Right. I mean, I, again, I like Pepe. And and, I love Pepe. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah. It, bless my, I feel really sorry for him that he was bought for that price because now he's got this over his head and it, and maybe that that's how it sort of eventually affects performance on the pitch. And, Maybe there just needs to be that that diligence of somebody in football. Maybe they need to hire someone that's head of football, that is experienced, that somebody... I mean, again, Arteta... Sorry, Edu is... <laughs> is like, I don't necessarily have anything against him yet. I just don't think he's had a chance to 
to show that he can do anything. But equally, I'm I wouldn't be surprised if he couldn't. And just an old head that just knows what they're doing has a bit about them. Let's not sign Willian for three years. Hmm. Um, I'm expecting Aguero to come, by the way, on a five-year contract at 400 grand a week at this rate. But um, I mean, would it surprise you? No, <laughs> no, definitely not. But that, so, if we're trying to sort of segue that very smoothly into the the Everton game, then how, how do you how do you see that? Um, and and let's let, let's actually say from maybe the protest, how do you think that maybe affected the game? And what were your thoughts generally on on the Everton game? I, it's hard for me to know how the protests affected it because there's you know there's so much there's so much noise. It's hard to know what the signal is. There's the fact that it's a Friday game, which is weird. There's the fact that the big game is the next Thursday. There's the fact that they will have certainly been distracted by news of the Super League and issues more pressing to them as players, like what does this mean for my contract and my bonuses and you know, can I renegotiate or do I need to renegotiate or my future? Or what does it mean for the future of the game? Um, I think there's a lot of noise to know whether the signal is they were impacted by the protest when they could have been impacted by looking ahead to Thursday. They could have been impacted by the weirdness of it being a Friday game. They could have been impacted by, um, you know, just the, the news of the Super League and, and what that would have meant for their livelihood, their ability to earn a living. So I certainly think they would have been aware of it, but I don't know that it would have affected them, certainly not negatively, because I don't think any any of the players would have had any illusions about it be, being related to them. So mm. I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, even as just some guy who will go play a sport, you know, for, for fun, you know what happens when you step out on the pitch, even if you're just doing it for fun. The, the fight you had with your partner or the bad day you had at work or, you know, it just kind of melts away and you're out there and you're thinking about playing. So, like, if it can do that for you just as a casual person doing it as a recreational activity – just imagine that you're a professional trying to play at the Premier League level. I tend not to think it would have made a big difference either way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there was just so much else going on that you could attribute anything like that to. And that's my that's my feeling. Yeah, and and yeah, and it wasn't like we hadn't seen that performance before. That's that's the scary thing. And actually, you know, in terms of the game, um, I it was really a bit of a penny dropper for me. So. Just a bit. I, I was born with what this thing called um, like uh, obsessive uh, uh, optimism uh, for Arsenal. I know <laughs> okay. that was the right combination that's of a, words, that's, but it's it? a really good trait to have because you're going to need it to get through some uh, times. It's it's tough. It, it, it's tough, but you know you uh, it's it's stuck with me, and I can't deal with it. But the so I've I've always been like let's call it Arteta in. Mm. Um, but in, we have this uh, phrase in England uh, in cricket. I don't know if you know much about cricket, but when you get when you hit I a ball, not. <laughs> <laughs> when 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 someone bowls you a ball, let's call it baseball, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and you hit it, and there are three calls that you can say, and that's uh, yes, you should run, no, definitely don't run, or the third is waiting. So you wait until you see what happens, and then you make your decision from there. I'm okay. firmly in the waiting stage with Arteta because. Mm. The I don't I don't want to see him go. I really don't. I don't think that's a, something we need to do. But if we yeah, relate it sort of this this Everton game, there are two things here. Second, firstly, um, it's a cycle I really for the first time realised I've seen too often for it to be bad luck or to for it mm. to be VAR or for these marginal 
um, very, very marginal offsides, VAR decisions, these type, you know, if you're not creating enough chances or you're not putting the chances away, if you're not cleaning up these errors at the back from Leno, Xhaka, Louise, then you will lose points. And for my belief, I think throughout the season, up to, well, let's call it from, I don't know, January, when we just tailed off from that. Well, we were in a pretty good phase, Ben, but we were playing really well after that. But we were just very unlucky against Villa, Wolves. Um, I applied that to bad luck and I thought, I'm really seeing something here. I'm really seeing a pattern. The build-up play is excellent. The emergence of Emil Smith-Rowe, the signing of Odegaard, the the patterns of play were so close. And I thought, if it wasn't for that Louise red card and that Cedric mistake, and, we, you know, you you list and list these things. And how how long is it before this bad luck is just something that's wrong with the system? Do you know? I, yeah. Um, well, so, so first of all, I might help you with your optimism here. I would say that if you look at the Everton game objectively, we dominated possession, we dominated territory, we dominated shots, we dominated chances. There weren't enough of them, but Everton created next to nothing. We had more possession in their final third than they had, period. We had more passes, you know, three times the passes in the penalty area than they had. This was a game where we built play well, the patterns were nice, we pushed them back, we, we were in the ascendancy. Where we're struggling is turning that dominance into enough chances and clear goal-scoring chances often enough. But this is where I think you have to say, that's hard. That's the hardest part. That's where talent takes over. You know, Pep Guardiola, I think, said, it's my job to get you into the final third. It's your job to do, the, do it from there. Well, that's why he has Mares and Gabriel Jesus and Gundawan and Kevin De Bruyne and Raheem Sterling and Kunaguero and all you know all those players, so that when they get into the final third, one of those guys can get it done. And you know you look at what we're playing with. We have a 19 year old on one side, Pepe on the other, who I really like and is in prime, and we 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 need more from him. But I think he's doing pretty good. A guy, a 20 year old striker, and Eddie Nketiah, who I think most of us think his time is about to wrap up there, and no one from midfield who's going to give you goals. So the biggest thing for me, I was Arteta out firmly, Arteta out Christmas Day. You can't be in the relegation zone a third of the way through the season. You can't have 12 goals through 13 games. You can't be averaging eight shots a game. It was all bad. Since then, while I'm not saying we're where we need to go, we're on a 64-point pace since then, which is roughly what the talent in this team should be. We're one of the top four attacks in the league, which is roughly what we should be. If you look against Everton, 14 shots. You know, we, we've, we've gone from being an incomprehensibly terrible team to a team that edges most games. And this is the problem with football being a very low-scoring sport, right, Toby? Is it like you can't just edge it? Because if you edge it and a break goes against you, you lose 1-0. If you edge it and none of the breaks go, it's nil-nil. And if you edge it and the breaks go your way, it's 1-nil. And that feels like where we are right now. We're good enough to just be, to edge the game, to have the little bit better buildup, the little bit better possession, the slightly more dangerous chances, but not to do what a Manchester City does, which is go out and have, you know, three expected goals to half an expected goal and dominate. I mean, they dominated Spurs in the cup final, quite hilariously. Still 1-0, a header from a free kick. Because football's, you know, a low-scoring sport. And as dominant as they... I mean, did you watch the cup final? I did, I did. I I did, yeah. Great great occasion. Um, (laughs) But, but, you know, the, the point is... You'd be hard-pressed to find a team more dominant in a game than City were in that game. 
but they still needed a header from a free kick to win it 1-0, and the only shot Spurs had had to be well-saved down low to be touched around the post, or it could have gone 1-0 the other way. That's why football makes you crazy, because if you only only analyze from results, you're going to look silly eventually. So I think what I would say is, Arteta, if you want to say 13 losses is too many, we haven't scored enough goals, he needs to go, and you want to base it purely on results. I honestly, Toby, I can't say you're wrong because the results are dreadful. But I think if, you, if you're if you looking for reasons to be patient, you'd say, since Boxing Day, the way he's setting us up, the way he's putting us out to play, the way we are playing is coherent, is effective. It's just not quite that last bit in the final third. And that's where, you know, when we have Tierney and when we have Oba and when we have Odegaard, it does make a difference, but we're not a good enough team right now to not have Tierney and not have Oba and not have Lacazette and not have Odegaard and go out and still score the goals. So I, I'm not usually a positive guy, and I'm not usually the guy backing the manager to the hilt. I'm usually the first one to say, if he's not getting the job done, change him. I think a lot comes down to the Europa League for him now, obviously. But if you want to look at the Everton game and say, is that on Arteta? I, you know, we edged it. Just didn't have We didn't have the guys to take that final third possession and turn it into goals. Yeah, and I, I tend to agree with everything you said there, really, because it's it's one of those things that if you're looking at the Everton team, um, some of the players they've got in there are absolutely brilliant, from Hammers, DCL, um, Richarlison, Godfrey, brilliant centre-back, D- Luca Dina, for me, the most consistently good left-back in the league. I think he's absolutely brilliant. You know, the level mm. which he can cross to someone who fits their system very well, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison, is great. And the way they play football is great. And for, if we, I think they're a very, very good reflection of the last time we played Everton versus today, because that we were in a real rut when we played Everton last. I think it was 1-0, it could have been 2-0, but I remember it being the shoehorn football where we were passing around anywhere but through the middle. It was, where is this coming from? This is stale. We've not got that centre link. Whereas this time, we had a Millsmith row and we had that pattern. We've got some really key injuries and our squad's too thin. We know that, fine. Um, and and it was it was positive, and to actually um, come about come out of that game thinking, well, we did really well there, and to have actually thought, well, we were unlucky there, is 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 still can definitely be seen as a positive, and it feels like we're very close. And I saw some some expected goals stat stats, um, which is very hot topic right now. But in terms of what we're like doing him. for Abamyang, <laughs> I love it, and it's a great yeah. measurement. And for Abamyang, we're actually getting him in far better shooting positions and far better positions than we did last season. And yep. um, and how do you account as Arteta for for not take for him for not him taking those for him not taking those chances, I should say. And you, and you can't mm. basically. So I I'm very, very uh I am optimistic. I, I I am. And even I did say this a couple of weeks ago, um this is before the whole Super League fiasco and things like that. But even to the extent where I kind of think there is such a pattern, there is such a belief in Arteta not just from the fans, uh, even though I know there are you know, such sections that, that don't believe, and, and they're absolutely right not to, perhaps. Um, it's not necessarily my view. But the executives also believe in him, and so do the owners. And I wonder if that level of confidence, <laughs> dare I say it, <laughs> may that translate to money. You know, Because at the last day of the season, they were like, okay, fine, we've got to get someone. Here's 50 million, because Hasim Awar won't come down. So 50 million, Bosch, here's yeah. party. I mean, maybe that could happen again. And Maybe. My, my only fear with that, Toby, is that, like, let's not confuse complacency for confidence, right? Like, mm. KSE would rather just do nothing. That doesn't mean they're confident. That just means it's easy. They don't want to pay him off. He doesn't make huge money. 
We didn't get relegated. He can go again. I mean, I think that's level their inquiry. And I want to just clarify one thing. I, I want to be clear about this. I'm not saying that we're playing well enough. I'm saying that what we did pre-Boxing Day was despicable, inexplicably bad, indefensible. And if you if a big club sacks the manager a third of the way into a season at that stage, you have my backing for it. I don't see how you defend it. What I'm trying to say is what Arteta has done post-Boxing Day, to me, is roughly what I need the Arsenal manager to be doing to, to just stay in the job. You, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying, yeah. wow, the Everton game was great. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is he's meeting my sort of baseline of where I'd say this football makes sense to me. I see where it's going. I see what we're trying to do. There are holes in the squad. Like I said, a 64-point pace, one of the top four attacks. That's not blowing my hair back where I'm like, wow, this guy's amazing. It's where I would say, I, I don't feel you need to move on from the manager who's doing that. I'm in the weird position of feeling like if the club wanted to move on from Arteta at the end of the season, absolutely fine by me. I can see the argument for it. If they see enough in this run that they say he's starting to get us playing the way we need to play and we'll stick with him for a bit longer, I'd be absolutely fine with that. Unfortunately, when you're doing podcasts or live streams, stuff like that, the statement of it kind of doesn't matter to me either way isn't, <laughs> isn't the best for yeah. hashtag content, but it's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, and that, and that's very very reasonable, right? And where so where do you sit on the? Because what I really value about Arteta is the the fact that he has been tasked to do something that I don't I can't think on the top of my head. Maybe you know Man United and David Moyes tried to do it, obviously he couldn't, and maybe they're seeing the effects of it now. Maybe they never did it, but he's been asked to come in and gut out the team, gut out the culture, and reform this proud club and football in a weird way kind of is like a second thought because we're really trying to build this yeah. culture which it, it was bad we had some really systemic um mentality issues and it was too comfortable and he has come and he said the right things and it's just how many uh losses that we're prepared to take now if we were performing every week like we were up until boxing day then you know then it's like well you know you don't know what you're doing but um and hey uh, and sorry obviously that's discounting the fact that he won a won a trophy which was brilliant and that was really great using that system but he's found a way to excite us i think the football looks good and we're close and if we can just maybe do something over the transfer window and we take a few of those chances and we edge a few of those then keep a few more people fit then then maybe we'll be in a better position um yeah. so yeah but quick question i suppose then for me would yeah. be where do you sit on that scale when it comes to the club versus the culture versus the uh the results i've never people hate this because they love culture. I've never been a culture guy. I'm not a big believer in it. I think we, when we as fans start analyzing the things we can't physically see, we are off in the land of narrative and conjecture. We can see what's happening on the pitch so we can analyze it and we can disagree about it. You can watch a game and I can watch a game and we can scream at each other. What, how do you, how did you see that? That's not what happened at all. But we, we have something, we have data, we have evidence we have visual confirmation culture is narrative it is a thing we invent the the players could be best friends in the dressing room hold each other to account have tremendous professionalism and and discretion or they could be the opposite and we'd probably never know what we do know is that teams that are serial winners have had issues that if they weren't winners would be called culture problems patrick vieira wanted to leave every summer he was captain of Arsenal. He wanted to leave every summer, had to be convinced to stay. 
the French clique and the, the, the British clique didn't really hang out during the Invincible era. You know, we know that there were issues. We, you know, we can go back further to the Tuesday Club and the players going out on the lash and winning titles, you know, pissed up, drunk the, the morning before games or after games. The, the fact is, culture often is a, a thing we layer on top of a team that is either performing or underperforming. So I don't know about you, Toby, but I have never heard a club that is winning be said to have a bad culture, no matter what the culture is. And I've never yeah. heard a club that's mired in a losing streak said to have a good culture. And yet, realistic, there's always some one-away players. There's always some guys who are on too big money that aren't performing. There's always, you know, a, a kid who's not sure if he wants to stick around. You know, Leroy Sané was totally frozen out at Manchester City. Do they have bad culture or good culture? You know, when, when Jose Mourinho was freezing out Juan Mata and winning titles that way, um, you know, he was, he was a strong leader. And when it wasn't working and he wasn't winning, he was a, he was a dressing room cancer. You know when he was trying to do it with Paul Pogba or whatever the case is. Like, mm. I, so I acknowledge that there have been issues at Arsenal, but every coach has their own way. Some coaches are an arm around the shoulder. Some coaches are a you know a hair dryer, right? But I don't I don't think it's good to base our our conclusions on culture because we can't see them. So saying. Yeah, he's lost 13 games and the football was terrible till Boxing Day, but hey, he had to change a culture. Well, okay. I mean, do we have any evidence that he did change the culture? Do we have any evidence that it's better? Do we have any evidence that the players really liked that he pushed for the wage cut when the pandemic broke out? He was a, he was a vocal advocate of that. Now, you got fans protesting outside the stand, wanting this guy, this owner, out. Because he's trying to form a Super League to make himself billions of pounds when he clawed back a few million from the players' salaries. Did they like that culture? So culture's a lot of things, none of which we can see and all of which we're speculating about. So for me, I think, yes, I'd like there to be a good culture at Arsenal and of an accountability and professionalism, and I hope that there is that. But because I can't see it, I'm going to try to stick to having my, my analysis as much as possible because we're all you know, vulnerable to it as much as possible mm. based on things I can measure, I can observe, I can see, I can, I can at least have some belief in how concrete the information is. That's true. And I, you, you try and sort of analyze it from a, from a, from the tactical perspective. And, but, you know, some, sometimes I do believe in the, the, the too many things I read or the faces or the, the body language and, and, you know, you try and read into <laughs> yeah. it and make, I do it. You, I do you, it try, yeah, you do. It's, it's <laughs> a, it's a story you tell yourself and that's the mm -hmm. kind of narrative that you end up believing in and the emotional side of it. And but can I've I never... tell you something funny Go about that? It. Just real quick, Toby, sorry, just to cut yeah, you yeah. off. Cause that's what I do no, on my no, podcast. <laughs> like this is why culture is such a funny conversation because it really changes based on how well someone's playing or how we're feeling. Granite Shaka took the armband and threw it on the pitch. He wouldn't write an apology. He posted an Instagram post. I know you're a big Instagram supporter, so no offense there. Right? In the match day program. How's that for culture? Now we're back to saying he's the real leader on the pitch and the club are posting videos of him instructing from the pitch and we're all buying into it. Why? Because he's in a pretty good run of form. And, and enough time has gone by. True. Culture is, is a thing that we... You know, it's it's like momentum, right? You have it until you don't. Oh, Arsenal have lost all the momentum. Then you score a goal. The momentum's back with Arsenal now, everybody. Like, that's culture. Culture is a guy throwing the captain's armband on the pitch and being a, a cancer and a sign of a bad culture one minute and then being a leader the next. It, it changes when it when it when the other things around it change. So I'm I I just mm. think it's it, not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying our ability to analyze it is definitely. Uh, 
another one of those signal and noise problems it's immeasurable it really is like you you, yeah, you can't you can't so. see it you're, you're absolutely right and uh it's it uh, uh, hey hey what about the Xhaka thing though the good thing you know before <laughs> but when he threw it on the ground who was in charge Unai Emery what's he like now Arteta there you go maybe we'll leave that on the culture bit but no you're right it's immeasurable and it's a story we can tell ourselves and I think maybe it goes hand in hand with how you're playing you're playing like you say obviously if it's if you're going well you're going to be happy aren't you you're going to be have a strong mentality because you want to keep that going if you don't some players who don't have the right mentality for whatever reason maybe they do maybe they don't throw their toys out the pram it inherits the uh, it's a bad mm -hmm. culture and maybe it takes someone that's this is what i think i like about michael Tess, and that's the last thing i think just on 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 that is the fact that he um he just says the right things and maybe and i, I feel like and i do think i see it and i hear it from the way the players speak i think that they defend our tetters of the hills and i think generally that's a good thing in the club when i believe that they believe in him and that's a good thing because Unai Emery clearly just wasn't you know believed in from from anybody to be honest um and that'll take us very well into what we're seeing next and we don't have too much more time so we'll do man of the match obviously deck of the day and hmm. we'll just look to the we'll look to the next game there is one question on the next game so we'll, we will look at that um but we'll use that as a sort of construct for next one so did you have a man of the match it's easier to pick the dick of the day, isn't it? Um, yeah. 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 Um, my man of the match. Mm. I mean, I, you know, the, the reason I find this so difficult is I actually think outside of Leno, everyone was basically seven out of 10, six out of 10. Like nobody mm. was particularly bad. Nobody was particularly good. I, I guess if I had to pick one because you're asking, maybe I'll pick Pepe. I just mm -hmm. think we're seeing from him. That thing that we are missing, and Saka can sometimes provide it, but maybe isn't providing it quite as much right now, which is just in the final third, if I said to you, someone's going to do that thing that takes you from pretty build-up to actually getting a chance, making a chance, taking a chance, I still think Pepe's doing just a little bit more of that. So loosely my man of the match is Pepe for having the kind of threat to him that we, we really need more of across the front line at the moment. Yeah, he, he carries that threat and, and he's exciting. And I actually, I, I did say Emil Smith-Rowe, I think just because he, for a very similar reason, whilst he hasn't got all the tricks and flicks and things like that, he just has that tendency to run in behind. And when we are, as Mikel calls it, transitioning, he just tends to be able to just get past that player and it almost just looks like it's opening up. So it was, and I thought Marie was pretty good. Um, I thought, um, you know, I, the back four felt pretty good, but yeah, everybody was seven out of ten, and then yeah, I was basically I three. Right but it's, yep. Yeah, so it's just one of those. But um, okay, I mean, do, do you have a dick of the day? Um, I mean, I uh, sorry when you said do you have a dick before you finished the sentence there, I got worried. <laughs> I was like, look, man, I've been called a lot of things, but uh, yeah, it's guy. You know what? No, I'm not going to make it Leno. My dick of the day is whoever's bright idea it was to draw these stupid effing lines on the pitch and say, look, it's mathematical, as if we know for a fact they picked the right frame or the right pixel or the right moment the ball is kicked and the right part of his arm to draw that other line. They have reduced something to math that was never meant to be reduced to math, but they've done something worse than that. They have not only destroyed the spirit of the laws of the game by trying to reduce it to math, they've reduced it to bad math. Because it's one thing if you can tell me, look, I know this isn't the spirit of the game. It's supposed to be about getting an advantage, and we can revisit that. But the one thing you got to at least admit is they're now getting it right. We don't even know that. Because what's so funny, you know what? It's like, it would be like if you took a, a micrometer to measure who was taller, you or me, Toby, and I'm almost certain it's you. 
but no one checked to see if I'm standing on my tiptoes. So they're measuring it by the pixel on one end, but on the other end, we have no idea. Do we know for sure they got the moment that the ball left the toe versus not leaving the toe? We don't, but we're measuring it with micrometers and drawn lines on the other end. So you know what? Yes, Granite Shaka gets roasted by Richarlison, and Bern Leno makes, makes an awful mistake, and he costs us the game. But we should be 1-0 up from a beautifully struck Pepe penalty, which would have been nice. Not because it's a strong penalty shout, but because it was given. And it is what it is. And to pull it back that far to draw some lines and pretend you've come up with a mathematical solution that isn't even accurate, yeah, th- that guy's the dick of the day. Or gal. Yeah. I, d- I don't want to be sexist here. Whoever it is, <laughs> man or woman, you are the dick of the day. Maybe it's just because it has the word dick in it. We you know we maybe expect it to be a man in this that, case. Yeah, but I no, gendered I, it because of the, because <laughs> it, of the genitalia. It mm-hmm. makes sense. And uh, but no, I, 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 yeah. I mean, it was awful. And that technology wasn't or isn't set up for that. The the frame couldn't be correct. The camera angle is never correct. And you're drawing lines on the screen that isn't accurate. And it's just it's it is crazy. And Again, I don't I don't want to make the Everton game about VAR, but this just was about VAR and Pepe. No one would look at that and think that was offside. It was just ridiculous. It was it wasn't even his shoulder. Um I've gone for slightly different, um, slightly different because I've done a VAR a couple of times and I was just sick of sort of doing that because I do it every time because mm. it gets somewhere. Um so the three options I, I the one I'll get to. So at third, Sky taking away the option to have no crowd noise because they didn't want to hear the um the uh protests outside when i kind of wanted to hear them second stan cronke very buzzword but above all worse than that beyond evil was ricarlison's sock choice right i don't know if you saw this or you recognize this but yeah. and i've seen carl walker like cut some holes before in his socks ricarlison cut his whole socks off up into his ankles so he had blue at the bottom and white all the way up so it's almost he was trying to do a Grealish or a of course according to bruyne or emil smith row <laughs> but he didn't. He just cut his socks off, and he just looked ridiculous. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> he, he apparently you can look ridiculous and still roast Granite Shaka, who is not a natural left back. So I, I mean, do you think it's interesting? He, he was fooled, but maybe he was staring at them like, "What is what is this nonsense?" Because we know that Shaka is a stickler for uh, rules and details. So yeah, it's whatever it was. Yeah, it wasn't good. Wasn't good socks. Wasn't good watching him go past Shaka. Exactly. So. Dick of the days all round for VAR mm-hmm. and uh, Richarlison sock. Um, all right, well, let, let, let's wrap it up really quick. We've, we've been going for a while, so let's, uh, uh, Elliot, a, a very a sixty second summary of what you expect at Villarreal and beyond in the rest of the season. I, well, I think the beyond for the rest of the season is easy, which is the league season is over and and it doesn't matter what happens. And I think Arteta is on a little bit of a perilous position there because he can't just lose all the rest of the league games because then you're definitely in in a situation where it's going to be hard to stick around. But at the end of the day, I think for most people, it's what happens in Europe that will determine their position on him. So Villarreal is, it's Unai Emery, right? And I mean, if there's one thing that I will tell you, it's that I cannot bear the thought of losing Unai Emery because I think he is the quintessential uh, horrible manager of our time. And I, could not stand him and still cannot stand him. So I I would hate to get knocked out by Unai Emery. What I do know is he is meticulous in his preparation. He is a cup manager. He knows how to negate what the opposition want to do. But I think you can make an argument that Mikel Arteta is a bit of a cup, cup manager himself. What scares me is that Arteta has been willing to let portions of legs of European ties drift you know, that he that he's not aggressive in going after them. We need to get away goals. 
I am worried that if he sticks with this system where Shaka plays sort of as a, as a left back, that Chakwese will start and they will target him with long balls into the channel and and Chakwese isolated on Shaka is a recipe for disaster, um, a, a Richarlison type recipe for disaster. But you know, I still think inherently what we know about Emery is that he is going to be a bit more conservative and. I still think that works in our favor. I really do. I, I think that their conservatism means that we can get our foot on the ball and and maybe play with a little bit more control and get the ball to the people that can do the damage. Hopefully, Aubameyang's fit to start. Um, you get it to Pepe if he starts. You're, you're able to bring Saka into the game. I think where we run into trouble are games like we saw against Liverpool, where a team pushes us back and disconnects our back line from our, you know, our, our attacking players and those players who really, where our talent is at the front end of the pitch, right? When we can't engage those players and connect with those players, we look bereft. So my expectation is that we will play pretty well. Whether or not we get the goals we need to be in a, in a dominant position in the tie, that's the whole thing with Arsenal right now. Arsenal mostly goes out and plays pretty competent football, but whether we get the goals that it deserves is another thing. I really think it boils down to selection. Arteta's got to get the selection right, and he has to be willing to use his five subs earlier and more aggressively and proactively than he has. If he does that, I think I think we can come away from Villarreal with, let's say, a draw and away goals and a good position coming back to the Emirates. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. I mean, it's if 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 we know Emery well enough, and apart from anything else, actually, if he knows us well enough, he'll know mm-hmm. that he should play to crazy on the right because. He's fast, he's young, he's going to get past Shaka, who for all his qualities, he's not a an athletic left back. He's not going to be someone that's not going to get rinsed by a sockless for a Carlison. So it's the, <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it, it, I, I am, I'm worried, but I'm worried maybe more on an emotional level than a, than a, a sensible level, because I think we can do it. I think we should do it. Um, do you think, Toby, do you think with, with Odegaard back now, do you think he might revert back to that 4-2-3-1, put Shaka back into the midfield, let Odegaard play the 10, Smithrow on the left, Saka on the right, mm-hmm. Oba through the center, and then and then go back to like a Cedric at left back just to to have a little bit more of a traditional player out there dealing with, I mean, presumably, Chikwesi doesn't always start, but if it's him dealing with mm-hmm. that threat. Yeah, I haven't thought about the back line myself necessarily, but I do know that, I've, in terms of sort of the the middle of the park forwards, I feel pretty set on what I'd want. And I would want Xhaka in the middle because of two things. Firstly, I think uh, exactly what I said there. I thought that Unai Emery will know exactly what to exploit. And so I just don't want to go anywhere near that because I think he'll do it. Um, but also, I just think that Partey looks better next to Xhaka. And Ceballos, I just... He, well, for all he is, you know, having a good game or, or five at the moment, he's just still not cutting it for me and I like the kid you know I don't think he doesn't try he just gets the wrong pass uh, wrong too often and um I would start with Xhaka and Partey in the middle Odegaard I, I I flip between this season where I forget how many games we've played when players have actually missed it so my first response initially was actually I think we've he's been injured for too long and I think we should probably not start him in the middle but actually in the because we play about every 15 minutes, we probably hasn't actually missed more than two weeks. So I don't think he needs a rest. <laughs> it's probably a, a good rest, but everything else. So I would go Emil Smith for on the left. Um oh would I? Hmm. Okay. That means no Pepe. Uh, <laughs> oh, it does mean new Pepe. That just bit myself bit my tongue as I said that because I wouldn't start a Bamiang. Let's start there because the guys have malaria and I think he it would be good to bring him on. 
I would start Martinelli through the middle. I know that hasn't happened that often this season, um, but I, I just I don't think Eddie Nketiah is it's worth starting him other than for earning maybe an extra few quid. No, you can't do that, that with a semi-final. It, it's Martinelli exactly. if it's not over, right? It has to mm. be. Exactly. And I, I'm like you, Pe- Pepe on the left is, 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 is better than Pepe on the right. Saka's got to be on the right. What if do you he think? doesn't go to the four, two, three, one. So if he, if he sticks with this sort of three, three, four, four, three, three, that he's been playing, whichever way you want to describe it, then he can get Pepe on. Uh, then, then you wind up with a midfield of party Odegaard and Smith Rowe, Pepe, Aubameyang and Saka, or Pepe, Martinelli, and Saka. Now, if I was playing FIFA, that's the lineup I'd pick because it gets all your good attacking players on the pitch. Whether or not he will feel it gives him enough of a base, it gives him enough solidity going the other way, um, that remains to be seen. I mean, obviously, if you have Pepe on the left and Shaka playing sort of as a left back and party alone in midfield, the space to put balls in over the top on under their their right hand, our left hand wing or channel, you know, half space and, and attack Shaka isolated. I think he'll probably want to cut that out. And it what he can do if he goes to the four two three one is let Shaka drift back into that zone to protect she, uh, Cedric a little bit. You know what? Whatever he decides to do, uh, if it's got to be Smith Rowe, Aubameyang, and and Saka and no Pepe, he's got five subs, Toby. So just like just yes. tell me that you're going to give him a half hour instead of fifteen minutes. Just Whatever he does, he cannot play this for a nil-nil. He cannot play to come. He has to get a goal in Villarreal for us to go through. I believe that. Definitely. And we're, we're in a position where we can't quite figure out what the front five, six or front four, even if we call it that, you know, we can't mm. quite figure out what it is because we're, we're very fortunate. We've got a couple of really exciting options. And um, all, obviously, Aubameyang is probably coming back, but he might not be full, fully fit. Lacazette is out, but... We've we're, we're kind of debating some really good things that could happen here, and we've got the option to do it early. You know, scare them fifty-five minutes, fifty minutes. Why not bring Pepe on? You know, Martinelli, put him up top. Let him have a run. Balogun, why not? You know, at some point, obviously a bit later, I think. But mm-hmm. um, I would like to see Martinelli through the middle at some point, and maybe without. Uh, maybe if you're going to start Martinelli, you would start Odegaard in the middle because Emil Smith Rowe tends to run behind a lot, and if both. Of all four are desperately trying to get in behind and not coming back to play that link, then maybe that's what we need. I don't know. I mean, this is why Mikel's the manager and I'm not. But if he could, <laughs> the uh, if he could be making subs a bit earlier, then we'll see. Yeah, and you see, I mean, you do see the challenge facing him, right? Because if I said you name all the best players at Arsenal, you'd be like, oh, Sacco, Bamiang, Lacazette, Pepe, Smithrow, Odegaard, uh, Martinelli. Well, they all play eight, nine, or ten, right? <laughs> like you know, like they're all wingers, strikers, or or playmakers right playmaking eights and it's like you can't if this is fifa you just find a way to put them all on the pitch but it's not and it's hard and do you want him to bench martinelli do you want him to bench pepe do you want him to bench smithrow i mean you ideally you don't but putting your ideals aside you also don't want to lose four one so i yeah i have i have a lot of sympathy for him i i still tend to think the team with the most talent usually wins, and our most talent is up the pitch. So get more of those players on, find ways to get the ball to them, and really, as Emery would say, be the protagonist. Because we know, despite him loving the word, he clearly doesn't know what it means. He's not going to do it. <laughs> no, he doesn't. And he's, uh, uh, I, do, I do miss his miscommunication mm. sometimes, you know, because it was, it, was, it was sad, but it was very funny looking back at it. And this is why I think he's actually probably quite a good manager, and he clearly is, because in his own land, you know, he's very good at communicating. And... Um, and he's doing very well. Um, so I hope that doesn't come back to bite us in the arse and I hope we can get a, get away with a win. But um, 
but all right well let, let's leave it there we've had a, a good chat we've had um, yeah. some good analysis yeah, sure. so i'm looking forward to uh throw out can i can i push you for a score line yeah i will say i could see this being one one i think one one mm. i think, I think a one one really... where we're saying we could have killed the tie you know we we could have mm. done more similar to like a slavia prague first leg mm. are you telling me we're not going to make it easy for ourselves you know, I mean, I'd love to tell you that we're going to make it easy for ourselves, but I am uh, a living, breathing Arsenal fan, so I know for a fact we will not. Yeah. Oh, dear. Well, I, I hope we do, but yeah, I think we're in for a tense next week or so, well, next couple of weeks, um, in for the next leg as well. So um, thanks so much again for joining us, Elliot. For those of you uh, that maybe don't know who Elliot is for some reason, can, can you tell them where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, forget where to find me because that's less important, but please come find our podcast. We'd love to chat with you and it's it's i i host it but the real content is clive palmer and paul cassidy and tim stillman um all great uh and, and knowledgeable supporters scott is our um is our uh, uh data expert so we got a lot of good stuff going on there uh we do live streams before games you can find those on youtube uh before midweek games i should say and we do have a patreon where we'd love to to give you a little extra content if you wind up uh, liking us enough to do that but either way uh you could of course block me on twitter yankee gunner um, the podcast is the Arsenal Vision Podcast. You can go to arsenalvisionpodcast.com and uh, see if it's something you might be interested in. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I'll, I'll be tuning in two hours before the game. Um, I, I hope I'll you will. Be... We'd love to have you on that live stream, by the way. Absolutely. Well, if, 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 if there's room for a, for a little one. There's always, always room always for a better-looking man who is more articulate, <laughs> and I think you fit the bill, so there you go. <laughs> I'll bring my housemate then, because he tends to be both Deal. of those things right. compared to me. So. No, I'm joking. <laughs> okay. All right, thanks so much again. Good to see you all. Thanks so much for joining. We'll see you soon.